Hey everyone, it's Joe. I wonder we'd be back. So yeah, um, back to normal episodes. Uh, this episode does cut off in kind of the middle of a thought because, well, gosh darn it, we were having just so much fun recording. We recorded like an hour and a half and I didn't want to subject you all to an hour and a half podcast. So I cut it in half and I cut it in half. Uh, in the best place I could find that wasn't that wouldn't make it too short or too long long story short it's great you're gonna love it uh, there is new music once again by the troubadours there will be a link in the description uh, and I hope you're all having a great day um, I love you all bye <laughs> It's been a while. Uh, what was this? A month and a half? Yeah, I think a month and a half. Uh, anyways, we're back to normal. Back to uh, whatever this podcast is. And uh, we have a very special guest today. A returning guest. That was your cue. Hi. I thought you were going to introduce me. Oh. Well, hi. It's me, Kiki. Uh, back again. My name is Kiki Rose. My pronouns are she and her. And I am here today to talk about a subject that is very near and dear to my heart, mm-hmm. which is mushrooms. Uh, we also have my co-host, if you'd like to speak up. Hello, it is I, Atum. 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 Oh, no. How spooky. Uh, day after Halloween. Blah. Episode. Blah. Blah. Yeah, this, this is coming out before the election because. Uh, God, now that that's the real spooky. <laughs> that's the real spooky, scary. Spooky, scary voting. Blah. Blah. Well, we'll, we'll take a take a ni- nice break from fucking electoral politics for a while. Yes. To talk about. Prehistory! Yay! Specifically, the Carboniferous Period, the evolution of white rot fungi, and the global carbon status quo. Okay, this sounds rad as hell, I'm not gonna lie. Okay, so where to begin? I guess we should start at the beginning of the Carboniferous Period which is an era of Earth's history that lasted for about 60 million years, um, between 300 million years ago and 360 million years ago. Um, This is one of the most researched, most well-understood periods of Earth's development, because there's a very rich fossil record, um, hence the name Carboniferous. It was one of the first periods to be researched and named. Um, this is where coal comes from. That's the carbon in Carboniferous. Oh, okay. That's cool. So let's say you're a tree. I wish. You are a tree. I got the height. Um, but you're, you're a different kind of tree. Trees as we know them 
don't exist yet. Um, true conifers um, you start to evolve near the end of the Carboniferous period. Um, but most, most of what you would recognize as a tree are sort of just like giant, like fucked up ferns. Um, in, in fact, if you were to be transported back to the Carboniferous period, if you as a tree looked around, you would see mostly ferns and some other plants that resemble plants that are still around today, uh, such as horsetail ferns. Horsetail ferns pretty much have looked the exact same since they evolved. Um, but Carboniferous trees are very, are very distinct from today's trees in that they're composed mostly of bark. Um, the ratio of bark to wood in trees that you would find today is about like four parts wood to one parts bark. Um, but trees in the Carboniferous area um, are about uh, eight to one bark to wood. So oh, the, the tough outer layer of the tree makes up most of the structural um, components of the tree. Some of these trees even get to as much tw 20 parts bark to one part wood. Jesus. Um, so trees, trees are kind of overpowered. <laughs> um, and it has to do with a uh, organic compound called lignin. Um, so plants, plants have two I, I promise we're going to get to mushrooms soon. Oh, no, that's fine. Plant, plants have two structural, main structural components, right? You have cellulose um, and lignin. And both of these are pretty complex polymers, which is to say they're made of these um, long strings of carbohydrates, which are connected in different ways. So cellulose is like, if you were to go outside and find like a blade of grass, if you try to pull on it in one direction, um, you'll find that it's pretty tough. But if you snap or, or tear in the other direction, then it'll break easily. This has to do with the way that cellulose is composed. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, a, a straight chain polymer so it's linked at the ends of these long chains uh, of carbohydrates, um, which gives it really strong, really strong tensile strength in one direction, but less in the other directions. Um, lignin is a lot more complicated. Um, lignin is, is cross-linked. Um, if, you, if you look up like the chemical structures of lignin, versus cellulose. You'll see some similar things, but lignin uh, at least appears a lot more chaotic. You have these like aromatic compounds, these rings that instead of just being linked at the ends of the molecules, um, form links like all around. And 
basically, that makes it incredibly hard to break down. Um, combined with some other things, um, which is that when it does start to decompose, um, the compounds that result are toxic. So basically, lignin is overpowered. Trees are overpowered. Um, and so instead of being broken down, instead of being digested by animals or broken down by terrestrial fungi or bacteria, when they die, they just kind of like fall over and lay there. Um, some trees are broken down by fire. Um, but most of them just kind of like lay there. And eventually, when you have all these trees just sort of piling up in these big swamps, um, they, they start to like squish, squishy, squish, squish each other mm -hmm. and also like sequester all of this uh, plant vegetation that's in these like lowland swamps and forests. And that's what coal is. It's these, these big swaths of plant material that never had a chance to decompose and be recycled into the ecosystem. So that's why that's why coal is such such a good energy source because, well, it's it's good on one level. Um, right. Efficient energy source. Yes, because it's all of this like concentrated mass of carbon. Um, but there there's a problem, right? Um, you have all this carbon that's being sequestered in these like coal beds and it's being, it's not being cycled back into the atmosphere. Um, it's basically the opposite problem of what we're having now, where instead of there, there's too much carbon, there is not enough carbon, um, which leads to increased, re these really high levels of oxygen. Mm -hmm. And that's where you have these like giant bugs, giant bugs and amphibians. Like I'm, I'm sure you're familiar through through pop culture or whatever. Um, with if your your heroes go back in time, you have all these giant bugs flying around. Right. Though those actually did exist. Like we have fossil records of two foot and two foot dragonflies and two foot long scorpions. Okay, that sounds right as hell. I hate it. <laughs> I'm I'm guessing the scorpions would fuck me up real. Oh, oh yeah. If not if not physically, emotionally. I know I would I would start sobbing. <laughs> Just starts insulting my mom. I don't, I don't <laughs> even know. It'd probably be kind of disorienting to spend so much time in a high oxygen environment. Oh, absolutely. My understanding like, is uh too much oxygen gets you high. Ooh. Yeah, like you could survive it, but it would be surreal. Um, so, so yeah, so that's not good. <laughs> there, there are issues. There, there was like a, a climate collapse event 
near the end of the Carboniferous, partially caused by excess atmosphere or excess mm -hmm. atmospheric oxygen. Um, I'm, I'm going to take a guess. I'm going to guess that there was some sort of giant fire which just never went out because there was just too much oxygen. Well, that that's part of it. Um, definitely, there were giant wildfires that kind of took these huge forests and stranded them into these isolated islands. Um, but also, some of it was uh, a global temperature drop. Mm. Um, again, sort of an opposite problem to the kind of uh, carbon atmospheric carbon imbalance that we're dealing with right now. Mm. Um, but obviously, there aren't giant bugs anymore. Um, trees don't fall and just lay there. Um, so, so what happened? How did the Carboniferous era end? Do either of you want to hazard a guess? Ice Age came in and obliterated all the trees because there wasn't enough carbon in the atmosphere, which resulted in global uh, temperatures dropping for some reason. My guess is aliens. <laughs> well, there, there, was, there was lots of glaciation in this period. Um, but it has to do with fungi. Ooh. And specifically mushrooms. Ooh. Um, also known as higher fungi. So not all, not every fungus is a mushroom. In fact, most of them are single-celled organisms. Um, like yeasts, for example. Oh yeah, I guess yeast is a fungi, isn't it? And you also have molds, which um, are very similar to mushrooms. Mm -hmm. But Maybe never produce. Yes, they make it. They make it the cheese. They make it the cheese. <laughs> uh, and and tempeh and other things. Um, but they they never produce that kind of large um, reproductive structure, which is what a mushroom is. Um, so. Around even like 300 million years ago and before, mushrooms didn't look that different. Um, they kind of they kind of figured it out pretty early on the most efficient structure um, for what they do, which is break down plant material and also form symbiotic associations with plants. Um, so. What what led to the what what led to the end of the Carboniferous? The widely accepted theory for the end of the Carboniferous um, is the development of what we call white rot fungi. Um, it's called white rot because if a tree is being afflicted by this kind of mushroom, if you cut it open, you'll see that the wood. It's like all spongy and like cloudy. It's a mm. white rot. Um, and gosh, where am I going with this? The white rot mushrooms. Um, so, oh yeah, what, what white rot actually is, is um, some really complicated enzymes 
that have the ability to break down lignin. Every time you say that, I keep expecting you to wait for one of us to ask what lignin is. Oh my god, I explained it already. No, and then you respond with lignin, lignin my balls, and then... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And then we get owned. You know, I didn't, I didn't even think about that. I really appreciate I really appreciate you for uh, inserting that into the discussion. Sorry. Why I always say my favorite Pokemon is Slugma. <laughs> Slugma nuts. Ow! <laughs> Ouch! Um, yeah. So White White Rod is actually kind of intense um, because, like I was talking about, Lignin is serious business. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not easy to decompose because it's it's so like so complex. The structure um, is a lot more complex. Um, so what what these these enzymes do um, is they they oxidize the structure of lignin. Um, so. Oxidation doesn't always involve oxygen. Um, oxidation is basically just the transfer of electrons from from one substance to another. Uh, oxidation is like when you leave your apple out for too long and it starts to, to turn brown. That's... It's also like what fire does like why fire is so destructive it's basically have these highly reactive oxygen ions that just like strip electrons from whatever whatever they're interacting with um which like makes them collapse so uh, that's part of what the these mushrooms evolved to do um, there, there's a lot of enzymes that do a lot of different things. Some of them use like metal ions to, to oxidize, uh, lignin and cellulose, but also, some of them also actually like create reactive oxygen and just like bombard the, the structure of, of trees with this highly reactive oxygen. It's basically like a mini flamethrower. Hells yeah. Pretty intense. Um, so th this is eventually like what ended the Carboniferous era is the evolution of these enzymes in mushrooms. The, the trees stopped just piling up into these vast coal beds and instead the, the carbon was able to be cycled back into the atmosphere. And that's basically where we've been since. Like, the carbon status quo hasn't really shifted that much since then until now. Um, you know, when, when we talk about, like, climate catastrophe, I, I think it's easy to try to say that like the like the ecosystem is going to be irreparably destroyed 
And like as much as that might be true in the short term, I kind of expect mushrooms to fix it eventually. Mm-hmm. Like there's already already researchers using uh, enzymes produced by mushrooms and fungi to break down like human created synthetic waste components. So th- that's kind of my takeaway from this this whole like global climate history is that after we fuck ourselves over eventually a, a few dozen million years down the line mushrooms were, will figure out how to fix it mm-hmm. uh, the world might be ending for humans but the earth will continue on without us yeah and and mushrooms will will play a big part in reestablishing that balance as they always have mm-hmm um, for a long time, it was thought that only mushrooms were capable of producing um, these enzymatic compounds. These the on, that only mushrooms were capable of breaking down lignin. Um, pretty recently, um, it's been discovered that bacteria also uh, can produce some of the same enzymes. So mm-hmm. it's pretty likely that um, it was a it, it was a, a, uh, an example of convergent evolution where different species sort of evolved these enzymes um, at the same time even though they might not be closely related You know what my favorite form of um, convergent evolution is? And I know this is kind of out of nowhere, but I just love it so much. Is it the one where everything evolves into a crab? Where everything turns to crab. <laughs> where Earth has evolved crabs multiple ta- multiple times from multiple uh, ancestors. <laughs> there is only one cycle and it is crab. I don't know. Crab Crabs are pretty cool. Pretty effective for grabbing onto things. Pretty good. I mean, it makes sense. They're tough exoskeleton, amphibious, able to attack and defend, adorable. What's not to love? Tastes good with butter? Yes, especially. Me too. (laughs) To summarize... (laughs) Carboniferous, mm-hmm. the patch history of trees, structural components OP for 60 million years, mm-hmm. fungi rebalanced to compensate. Mm-hmm. Very rad. I knew none of that. That's all super interesting shit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a rabbit hole, to be honest. Because mm. um, okay. there, there, there is a lot, a lot, a lot going on. Like I said, there's there's a lot of research into this period, particularly, um, which is cool, but also easy to be kind of cynical about. Like, dang, those petrochemical companies really want to learn about that coal. Yeah. Well, not that they'd give a shit. 
All they care about is becoming even richer. We gotta learn about coal so we can find more of it. Yeah. So there wouldn't be any like coal deposits at the bottom of the sea, would there? Um or would there? That that's a good question. I, I think there's definitely areas that were coal forests during the Carboniferous that are now um, now covered by by sea. I think I would you would expect them to be shallow seas. Mm -hmm. um, so the Carboniferous predates Pangaea. Um, like the supercontinent starts forming during the Carboniferous period, but it doesn't really get into full swing until after. Okay. I think I understand. So here's a fun fact I learned about mushrooms the other day when I was cooking. Do you know that there's a difference between two cups of mushrooms and two pounds of mushrooms? Oh no. How did you find this out? Making a stroganoff. <laughs> And uh, I put it called for two cups mushrooms. And I was like, OK, I'll just make it a bit bigger. And then I accidentally only grabbed two pounds because ounces are both used for uh, measurement of size and of weight because mm -hmm. American measuring systems so efficient. So uh, when I went to make the stroganoff, I was I was just, you know, dumping the mushrooms in. And I was like, this seems this seems like a lot. This seems kind of excessive, even for me. And uh, that's when I realized that I just added two pounds of mushrooms. Hell yeah. To a beef stroganoff. So it was essentially a mushroom stroganoff feature. That, that sounds like the opposite of a problem. <laughs> yeah, that, that just sounds improved. It was really good. If I thought of it, I wouldn't have even bought the beef and I would have used a veggie broth. And just made it... Um, Vegetarian. Maybe vegan. No, because you have to use sour cream. Is there vegan sour? There's got to be vegan sour cream. Oh, yeah. There's probably vegan sour cream. Uh, yeah. But another issue is that I, uh, the same day as buying ingredients for the stroganoff, I was buying ingredients for a uh, cobbler. And it was going to be a blueberry cobbler. Um, and then I got to the store and realized blueberries out of season and blueberries are hilariously expensive right now. Uh, it would have cost me $30 to get enough blueberries for this recipe. But Thank strawberries you. were on sale, so I bought some strawberries instead and made an incredibly bad cobbler because the recipe was shite. Oh no. Did uh, two pounds of strawberries for... And it, it, the like pastry crust bit ended up being like when fully combined and stirred, being about a th uh, three quarters of a cup of uh, stuff for two pounds of strawberries. So it was just strawberries with a weird spongy bread in between. I, I feel like this is a related issue to your stroganoff problem. Too, too much of one ingredient. Yes. Well, um, this recipe was because the cobbler I was going to make was a blueberry cobbler. Um, but 
obviously I couldn't buy the blueberries. So I had to frantically look up a recipe on Pinterest using the same ingredients I already had at home because I didn't want to buy even more ingredients that day. And I had so much at home. So the one recipe I found that had the same ingredients was this one. And it was rated five stars. And I forgot the rule is that if something's rated five stars, uh, the ratings are fake. Always go for something that has like 4.7 to 4.9. Because no one ever fakes a lower than five score. Um, and also there was only one review. So <laughs> it just wasn't a tested recipe. It was just a random recipe I grabbed online, which sucks. You know, that's your opportunity to go back and leave a bad review. Oh, I did. You know, you got you got you got to pass on that that knowledge to future generations of frantic strawberry cobbler makers. Okay, I, I'm gonna sip some coffee and then I, I can talk about my sepic my second mushroom topic, which okay. is much less formal. This is more of a pet peeve. Okay. Uh, while you sip the coffee, I'll also tell another quick story. Uh, so yesterday, uh, I mean, speaking of recipes, um, I cook a lot, especially um, my elbows almost completely fi uh, fixed. So I, I can finally cook again. And yesterday I realized I had lost my borscht recipe, which was really good. I only made it once, but it turned out really, really good and really tasty. So I went back on the internet to try to find it, and I found some abominable borscht recipes. Uh, have either of you had borscht before? Nope, I have, yeah. Borscht is so good. Um, an actual Russian. Oh, nice. So uh, the first recipe I found, uh, part of it was dicing and peeling the beets, as you do, uh, and then boiling until they lost all color. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even know you could do that. Uh, if people, if, if listeners don't know, part of borscht is that it's this very deep red color. Getting rid of the color of borscht is bad. Don't, don't do that. Don't. Um, and then there's another one that suggested, um, where you stir in mayo Oh, yeah. I was like opposed to sour cream, which <laughs> like I okay, I, I get it. No, you think no. they can be you think they can be substituted. No, you can't use mayo in no. place of sour cream in anything. Not compatible. Not compatible. The vegan versions are. Mayonnaise isn't vegan, though. I'm, I'm still uh, raising an eyebrow at that. Are. Like vegan mayo, like a lot of times instead of like usually like Mexican dishes instead of sour cream, I'll use mayo. Oh, I'm I'm still I'm still raising an eyebrow over here, but I'll I'll, I'll trust your mayonnaise judgment, Autumn. Hmm. If I can get vegan mayo to like do a taste test. By the way, uh. Well, one last thing to prove how unwise I am at many occasions. Um, one time I, I made rice and I was putting soy sauce on it. And I accidentally grabbed my Worcestershire sauce first because they were <laughs> right next to each other. And I didn't put any on the rice, but I was like, huh, 
I wonder how this would taste on rice. And instead of just adding like a little dollop to the rice to the side, uh, and then trying that. No, I took a swig of the Worcestershire sauce and was like, I'll just picture what the rice would taste like with this. Uh, don't do that. Don't drink straight Worcestershire sauce. You think it would taste good. It's Worcestershire sauce is very strong. That's why you only add mm. a little bit of dishes. Anchovies. <laughs> ah, God. Fermented I fishies. I, I can't believe I drank Worcestershire. <sighs> so not the worst thing I've ever drank. <laughs> yeah. Flashbacks and being sorry. Anyways, not being sorry. That's not your fault. It was somebody else's. Um, mushroom topic. I I spent a lot of time on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm in, I'm in a lot of mushroom related groups. Um, which is a, a good way to learn about mushrooms. Uh, actually. Um, but oftentimes I see like mushroom content popping up into other groups. And every time some wise guy has to go post this comment that says all mushrooms are edible once. Um, oh god, I, I <laughs> forgot it. Uh, okay, all mushrooms so- are edible, but some of them only once. Yes. All mushrooms are edible. Some of them are only edible once. Sometimes attributed to Terry Pratchett. Which he did not say. He said something sort of similar. Mm -hmm. The actual Terry Pratchett quote says, Whilst all mushrooms are edible, the trick is to eat only those which will prove to be edible more than once. Uh... Now, I I have some issues. I I love you, Terry. God rest your mortal soul. Mm. But I have some issues with this quote either way. If you if you go out into the woods, into our beautiful Pacific Northwest forests, uh, anytime that isn't like the middle of mushroom season, what you're going to see in terms of mac- macroscopic fungi are these really tough woody mushrooms. Now, I dare you! To rip one of them suckers off of a tree and try to fry that up for dinner. That is not edible. Oh. That'd be like trying to eat a plank of wood. Yeah. Um, The other thing is... Poisonous mushrooms don't always work that way. Um... This is where I get to talk about the only time that a mycologist was killed by a mushroom. Ooh. Which hasn't happened for a long time. Um, so there's this very common species of mushroom called um, the rolled rim pax, Paxillus involutus, related species. Mm-hmm. Very common fall mushroom. Uh, They grow in association with lots of landscape species. Uh, I saw one yesterday walking in the store. Ooh. Um, And for a long time, they were considered edible. Um, They were commonly eaten in in Europe. Um, And then this mycologist fucking died after eating some. Um, And it turns out that they're they're not the kind of eat it once and then your liver kills you dead mushroom. 
It's the kind of mushroom that is a bioaccumulative uh, poison. So while eating it once might not make you sick, eating it regularly um, will. So, so I'm, I'm sure there's there's still some people out there eat, eating rolled rim paxes. But it's really, really not recommended. So yes, this is a mushroom which you could eat more than once and still get sick from. So suck on that, Terry Pratchett. From your grave. <laughs> um, I, I think um, the, this kind of leads into... Um, Another issue that I have, which is I, I don't think like most Americans perception of wild mushrooms is especially accurate. Um, we, we live in a mycophobic society. All right. <laughs> um, which basically, basically means that um, the sort of collective knowledge of mushrooms is one of avoidance. Like, I, I know, like, as a kid, we had mushrooms growing in our yard that I was very strongly encouraged to keep a good distance from. Mm -hmm. And I know a, lo a lot of people are put off by foraging wild edibles because there is this assumption that one mistake could prove deadly. It doesn't really work that way. And in other places, it's not... Like, it's pretty common to just, like, go out and look for mushrooms just casually, especially in, like, uh, Central and Eastern Europe in Baltic and Slavic regions. You know, there's, there's definitely, like, a foraging culture over here, but I don't think it's quite to the... It's not ingrained in culture in the same way that it is in other places. Um... I, I think the average the average perception of mushrooms boils down to three types. There's the kind that goes on pizza. Mm -hmm. There's the kind that makes you trip balls. Yeah. And there's the kind that kills you dead. Um, and I, I think it's kind of telling that the way that most mushrooms are represented in media are as the, the classic red cap with white dots, mm. fly Amanita. Um, it's, it's kind of annoying, like, seeing these everywhere in, like, TV shows and stuff where they really shouldn't be. Um, like, this is a mushroom that grows in association with tree roots. It grows on the tree roots. It provides them with nutrients. And in exchange, the tree... They, they basically swap nutrients back and forth. Um, they grow so out of they, the ground next to trees. Are they symbiotic? Yes. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a type of relationship known as myco, a mycorrhizal... Mycorrhizal! Uh, mycorrhizal association. Um... I was watching uh, Gravity Falls, and in one of the first episodes where they're hanging out with the gnomes, there's like amanita looking mushrooms growing out of the side of trees. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, <laughs> I know it's such a minor nitpick, but it's like, they don't grow there. Well, to be fair, <laughs> neither do gnomes. That's true. I, I know it, in a show with that kind of, that kind of uh, subject matter, I don't know why that bugs me more. It's like this, I can't turn the suspension of disbelief off for mushrooms. They don't like, grow on trees. <laughs> I think because Gravity Falls actually does really hard to be accurate with little details like that. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that them missing something obvious like that would be kind of annoying. Mm-hmm.